faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings have a single bound. The incident of Krypton is now the man of steel. Superman! Hello, welcome to episode 77 of Superman Forever Radio. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and currently, currently I am broadcasting live. Probably not if you're hearing this on the podcast stream, as per normal, uh, but spur the minute I decided I enjoyed recording Dave's Amazing World of Comics live, and I thought that would be a good fit for Superman Forever Radio because of the radio in the title. See, it's an actual radio, it's broadcasting, I don't know why I'm explaining this. Uh, this week, we begin, uh, well first, I'm back from vacation. So that's kind of awesome. I'm sure that's... Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, uh... Okay, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh, okay. I like live. I like doing this live. Definitely has some good perks. Okay, okay, let's let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. Let's... Thank you. But we got a show to do. We've got a show to do. Alright. Uh, as I mentioned, this week we begin the 19-part read-through of one story from each and every year of Superman's existence. Um, first, I want to comment on the Batman, Superman, Superman, Batman, Man of Steel sequel that's not a sequel with Batman in it. Uh, we don't know exactly what that is. Um, I think... I've been very reserved about criticizing things. But I am going to give my opinion. This is not an official critique, but it's an opinion. It's an opinion on my own show, so I feel that I am entitled to it, since it's my money, my time, uh, so on and so forth. That's our time, kind of like Spicoli would point out. But I think I'm entitled to an opinion if I have my own show, at least on my own show. Um, the announcement this week really brought me to a point of being disheartened, a lot. Very, very disheartened. Because I think if you're throwing Batman and Superman into a movie that deprives Superman of a franchise, where Batman has had his chance, he's had a full, full-on successful trilogy, where Superman has just had the one movie and we're already moving on. Uh, but to me, it it disheartens me more because I feel like we are heading towards a Batman and Robin level extinction level event. Because it seems like it's all about printing money. Let's make toys. Let's make toys. Um, it feels like we're being duped by the greed of the studios. Marvel seems to be doing somewhat the same thing, but at the same time they had a plan and they had a creative agenda. And the word creative is a key in that. This does not feel like it's creative. This feels like we're going to cater to, to what's going to make money. And I know studios are going to do that, but if you look at movies like The Help, The Help was a small budget little movie with Emma, Emma Stone and out of nowhere... The critical reception brought people into movie theater seats. So I think if you make a very, very, very solid movie, even if it's it's you know special effects laden, you will bring people in, you will bring them back. And I think the Avengers showed that because Whedon actually wrote a script that catered to the characters and was a creative endeavor. Uh, but this, this idea scares me. But at the same time, I'm not going to lie that we are living in a magical time where a, a Batman and Superman movie can happen. It's magical. But I want you to realize that as great as this time is, that we are seeing these things being possible. As great as, as the 15-year-old me, if I could bring him back and forth in the DeLorean, 
would look at this and say, really? Then this, this happened, that happened. There was a dark Knight trilogy. There was a, uh, you know, there was an Avengers movie. There were movies leading up to the Avengers as much as my mind would have been blown. I bring up Batman and Robin because I want you to steal yourselves as comic book fans. I think we all should that at some point this is going to crash around our ears. I mean, this is going to come to a close because the, these comic book movies don't rely on us, the fans, the hardcore, the, the core fans, they rely on mass movie audiences. And eventually the, the pub, the general public is going. that or the superman batman movie is not a part of that but at some point it's all going to come crashing it's going to just fall apart on us because people's attentions will go elsewhere and hopefully we have something in there that represents us the the fan community the fanboy community the comic book community and sci-fi community something there to represent us to kind of take that stead but a little bit of my naysaying over with. I do want to let you know that I will probably be doing the Superman Forever Radio live on Mondays. Uh, probably I, I will go ahead and pencil this in as uh, next Monday at, at noon. I will be recording the next part of this little saga. I'm still working on this whole live podcasting thing, but I got to admit, I love it dearly. This is exactly what I want to do. So next Monday, July 29th, uh, episode 78 will be live at noon central time. I'm penciling that in because I just do things spur the minute now. That's how I roll. Um, speaking of live podcasts, this Friday I will be doing a new episode of Dave's Amazing World of Comics, which is a new show I started spur the minute, where I kind of do what I do here with all of comics. Uh, the Spirit is up next as I record this. I just did an episode on Impact Comics and my comic book Secret Origin. Um, so I'm really enjoying that show. I hope you do too. Uh, tune in. It does uh, broadcast live. And then it is available on iTunes and other podcatchers, much like this show. But it's weekly, it's live, it's fun. And doing this show live is probably reigniting a lot of things. Uh, now, bear in mind, if you are listening to the live broadcast, there will probably be a cut where I will have to re-engage. Uh, I'll probably try put that towards about the halfway mark, a little under the halfway mark. But I will definitely let you know. I'll probably do it uh, after the next promo. Uh, as I mentioned, this week, we're diving into the ultimate read-through. One story from 75 years of history to truly celebrate Superman's 75th anniversary. It is a big deal, people. And even though it's all winding down in some corners, it's still going to go strong here. I want to make sure that this year as a whole is celebrating Superman. Uh, what I have done to kind of put a method to the madness instead of randomly choosing uh, books from a year is I did put a, a firm cover date of July onto it. So we're picking uh, July cover dates for every single year. There's still some choices to be made in that because you have action comics. You have Superman. You have uh, Jimmy Olsen. You have Lois Lane comics, some Legion stories, Supergirl stories. I, uh, you know, Justice League. I have a Justice League episode plan. I'm not going to do the standard synopsis note format that I have done. I want a more open discussion. So I'm going to be looking at these and kind of sharing them with you. But ultimately, I do want to entice you to try a read-through of this, of this level or this exact read-through. So I don't want to just put it all out there because I think if I'm just telling you everything about the story, that does not entice you to read the story. 
and that kind of defeats the purpose of the show to promote the sh- the stories. Not that you have to buy the stories, but I want you to enjoy the stories to kind of counteract what I said earlier in the in the episode. Uh, why July? Why did I choose July? I thought uh, choosing October cover dates to match up with my birthday was a bit odd. Choosing June, um, it did give us the starting point of Action Comics number one, but I wanted it to be about progression, about the progression of Superman, where he started, where he's come, because we will be looking at 2013 and kind of everything in between. So July, following that initial June release, seemed perfectly natural for a progressive, straightforward look. But that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to be jumping right in in just a moment. So I am glad that you were here. If you are listening live, I'm very glad you're here. If you're listening on iTunes, it's good to be back from vacation. So what we are going to do is I'm going to play a promo for The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which is a Golden Age Superman podcast, and we will be back right after these messages. Wow, we got a lively, lively crowd. Okay. 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 Thank you. I think that's more for throwing adventures of Superman than me. Be right back after this message. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Millions! Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. And they protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will rise to the challenge. What man will wear spandex? Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? Well, they don't call them tights for nothing. (laughs) Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at greatcrypton.com. And we are back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Very, very lively crowd. Very, very happy with the crowd we got here today. I'm very happy that you are back to join us. Um, So I'm jumping right into our read-through. There's not a lot of of filler there. Uh, With Action Comics number two, which is, of course, the July 1938 cover date, the story, uh, at least the Superman story in this, was War in San Monte, which actually picks up the cliffhanger that left off at the end of Action Comics number one which is incredibly cool in a lot of ways. Uh, But it is by the original Jerry Siegel and original Joe Schuster, the original creators, which is kind of something that's going to be a theme this episode. I'm very excited about that. It's kind of cool to look at the creators really create. Uh, But basically the story was Superman actually finishes that leap that we saw him leave at at the end of Action Comics number one with the the stoolie pigeon in his arms. And 
he learns that the war that Clark Kent was trying to cover in San Monte was orchestrated by a munitions magnate named uh, Emil Norval. Norval. That's a fun name. Uh, so Superman strong arms Norval into getting on a boat for San Monte where at the, <laughs> ironically at the same time Clark and Lois are on there to cover the story because Lois has to come because there needs a female perspective. Yeah, that's why she's there. And then a mysterious woman named Lola Cortez. It sounds like a setup. Oh, and some mercenaries. Did I mention the mercenaries? One of which looks like Dick Tracy. Yeah, there's mercenaries because you need all of those on a boat. Uh, it sounds like a setup for a wacky, wacky sitcom. Because you have mixed up identities. It's like Zack and Cody or Love Boat or Wizards of Waverly Place happening on this boat. You got a superhero in there somewhere. It's far wackier than you might think in terms of sitcoms. This is a weird story. Because um, basically Superman forces Norval to go into into the war in San Monte. <laughs> he strong arms him after, after Norval tries to send the mercenaries, one of which looks like Dick Tracy... To kind of jump Superman, Superman gets shoved off a boat and then comes back and just beats them down as they're about to take out Norval for not paying them. Did you follow that? Told you, it's it's convoluted. It's it's crazy. It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's crazy good, but it's weird. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> Lois accidentally gets framed by Lola Cortez because Lola Cortez puts some documents in Lois's uh, possession and the San Monte government finds it. Lois gets put in front of a firing squad. Which, of course, Superman rescues her and then rescues some people getting tortured. As well as, well, ends the war because he's Superman. That's how he rolls. Superman's just showing up, ending wars. It just <laughs> it just ended with this, isn't it great, we're all better people vibe. It's truly just an odd duck because we never know any, we never see Lola Cortez after this. She shows up, we know nothing about her. She gets Lois into some trouble and then she just saunters off and we know nothing. I kind of want to know who Lola Cortez is. Uh, what, what what were the documents that Lois was caught holding? We don't know. We just know they're secret documents. And that's all we need to know. If they're secret documents, we I guess we technically shouldn't. Um, the neat thing about this story, or the, or the interesting thing, or whatever you want to call it, some other adjective, is that we are essentially looking at a strip. What was intended to be a comic strip. And it's being recut and repasted for the comic book form because really at that time we were in a world where comic strips were all that. Uh, they were very lucrative. They were extremely coveted. And that's what Siegel and Schuster wanted to do was to do a Superman comic strip, not a comic book. Because comic books were still conceptual. There wasn't a, a the idea of putting this in a book was still a new thing, which is funny, funny as can be. But they, uh, when when it, the Superman concept was bought by Donna Feld and Libowitz, they said we need it in a book. So they cut, they literally cut and pasted, which I always found kind of fascinating. In that they would take actual scissors and actual paste and put these on a page. Now I say that's odd because now we think of it as going into Word and highlighting something. Hitting control C and, and that's it. No, it was actually cut and pasted it. And I think in strip form, when I read it in Superman the Dailies, I enjoyed it more in strip form. Um, even though it kind of went on and on and on. I thought it was a much better way to present this. Now, Schuster's art here is sharp. It's not as refined as, he, uh, as he's going to become down the road. 
Um, I think his his Superman, his initial Superman, looked a lot like Ronald Reagan, and I say that as a good thing. Because Ronald Reagan, in his younger days, was a strapping, strapping dude. And Superman was a very strapping dude. Um, he is... This Superman is very square-jaw, barrel-chested, rugged. Rugged, rugged man. And I dig that. I dig that a lot. But that's... That's kind of a, a good place to start to me because it does continue that story that Cliffhanger left at the end of Action Comics number one, which is one of the probably one of the most read stories ever. It's been reprinted thousands of times, and it always ends with Superman trying to make that leap and saying, "Missed, doggone it! Oh, will Superman land? Well, I hope so. Seventy-five years later, he's still here. It'd be pretty awkward if he died in his first outing, but that's just me. But that is the first story. The next story, we're gonna leap ahead a year." to 1939, July of 1939, with Action Comics number 14, which features a story entitled Superman vs. the Ultra Humanite by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Darn it, they stole the, 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 the title of my fanfic. Oh, wait, maybe that's the other way around. Whoops, awkward. Um, the Ultra Humanite is clearly the villain in this one, uh, which Superman discovers while investigating a shady construction company which has been building these subway tunnels that have been falling down. And in the midst of his investigation, it traces the Creddy uh, construction company, Star, back to Ultra Humanite. Ultra Humanite was Superman's first recurring villain. Uh, he started out with a scheme with a taxi company, because I know if I'm going to take over the world, I'm going to use a taxi company. Who wouldn't? You tell me that. Who would not use a taxi company? I wouldn't. Okay, I'm lying. But eventually, the ultra-humanite would end up becoming a woman. Yeah, no joke. And eventually a gorilla. He's a true, true, yeah, I said a gorilla. He went from a, a, an old bald man to a woman named Dolores Winters to a gorilla, eventually. He's a kind of a renaissance man villain. I've had nights where that went that way. But anyway, um, I've always looked at the ultra-humanite as a very interesting villain because he resembles Bill or William Dunn from Reign of the Superman, the initial Superman idea that Siegel and Schuster were working on when he was a villain because he has psychic powers like William Dunn. Um, he just, and the picture of Reign of the Superman really does resemble Ultra Humanite. I like the idea that maybe Siegel and Schuster recycled that character the villainous Superman to put him up against their newer version of Superman. I dig that concept. Um, and I always, when I read ultra humanite stories, I do read it as such because they had similar origins. They mentioned that they were normal guys. Well, he, I'm sorry. Ultra humanite mentions he was a normal guy until a scientist gave him a formula that made him smart with mental powers. Exactly what happens in reign of the Superman. I just think that's one of the best Reading it with that context makes that one of the best written villains uh, for Superman, in my opinion. At least, in my opinion. And yes, he is kind of a Lex Luthor prototype. Even though when Luthor first appeared, he did have a full set of orange hair. And then suddenly one day became bald. And that may actually be the humanite's fault. By Well, in so much as a fictional character can inspire anything. Uh, somebody kind of screwed up the art. Uh, the, the theory is that it may have been mixed up based on the ultra-humanite, or it may have been one of Luthor's early stooges who was bald. But after that, they're like, no, we like him bald. We'll stick with it. Now, the ultra-humanite did set up the 
brains versus brawn paradigm that we see with a lot of Superman's enemies. That Superman is this muscular force of nature. His villain must be a mental force of nature. And that's kind of still been consistent even to this day. To some greater or greater, lesser extent, I don't think Darkseid would really count as a straight-up mental villain. But you know, it works. And if it works, it works. But I, I like th- that sort of un- unbreakable idea. And I say unbreakable because that's Samuel L. Jackson's character pointing out that, well, the villain's usually the polar opposite of the hero. Which isn't all that consistent, except in Superman. Superman, you have Brainiac, who is an alien who has mental powers. Who, And I'm jumping way ahead here. But he wants to come to conquer. That's kind of an opposite of Superman, who has physical powers, who has come to protect. It's a good paradigm. It really works. I also want to note that on this cover, and the Action Comics number 2, Superman is not on the covers. Uh, Action Comics number 2 had a spy being parachuted while holding a woman. Action Comics number 11 has... Zatara. I mean, Action Comics number 14, pardon me. Has Zatara. I don't have any great love for Zatara, the magician. Uh, I'm more into his daughter, Zatanna, who can do anything magical if she says it backwards. In fact, I just looked over at my Zatanna print that I got at Metropolis. But we're still dealing with a rough and tumble Superman in this story. Still square jawed, still barrel chested. Uh, once again, no cosmic or superpowered foes, but more machinations and plots, which is something we're going to see a lot of in this episode. Because mostly it's a lot of street-level thugs that are scheming and machiavellian, to coin a, t- a term. Just uh, no great supervillain, nothing that Batman wouldn't be able to handle, he said bitterly. Uh, we also see an ad for Superman in his own magazine. Really, I want you to bear in mind that Superman having his own title, because now we have people like Larflees having their own title. It's a dime a dozen. At this point, a character having his own dedicated title was a mind blower. It was just not done because everything was anthology, because they were collections. And we were just moving into a phase where original comic book material was beginning to happen. So for Superman to be getting his own book shows a huge level of... Of success for the character. But it also shows that that first issue of Superman was going to go on, was slated to go on sale on May 18th. Now, one thing I want to keep track of is the S Shield, Superman's symbol and the evolution. Uh, we On both of these stories, we have the same uh, chevron, upside down triangle, with a very simple S Shield. Now, in Action Comics 14, the shield is a little bit more defined, with some brighter, clearer colors, and uh, and a little bit more bold, I guess is the word. Uh, the, the inking must be better. They know that they have a symbol there that they can really put on pretty much anything and sell it. Which I know money was part of it, but at the same time, I don't think that was the defining force. Yeah, I can't say that. Because I know Leibowitz and Donafeld were making money hand over fist. And I'm not going to start that debate over whether Siegel and Schuster were victims. And we have a Superman of America ad. So we have the fan club already formed at this point. That's how fast Superman took over the imaginations of children of America. He was huge. He had his own fan club. It was just really a success that's unheard of. Uh, It would be like uh, a YouTube sensation today who suddenly became a number one chart topper, which I know that there are 
YouTube sensations, but these are fleeting. You know, you have your Susan Boyles who come out of nowhere and suddenly they have an album, but she's no longer flavor of the week. Superman still in publication, still doing exactly the same thing he's always done. That's the magic of Superman. He's not a flash in the pan. He does evolve. That's definitely something I want to touch on as we're going through these stories. But we are about halfway through, so I am going to take a break. I'm going to play a promo, and then I will be right back. So here is a promo for Michael Bailey's own celebration of Superman. The 75 years, the cele- ah, 75 years, the celebration of a legend. I just botched that. I'm just going to play the promo. In the decade of the 1930s, even the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, was not spared of the ravages of the Great Depression. In a time of fear and confusion, a character emerged that would entertain and inspire millions of children and adults alike. He began not as flesh and blood, but as a simple line drawing. His comic book adventures thrilled millions around the world. The magic of radio gave to his name a breathless signature and sound. Then with television came a whole new generation to idolize his exploits. In the 70s, the world believed a man could fly. In the 80s, he was reborn in the comics, and the 90s saw his death, rebirth, and marriage. In the 21st century, he returned to the big screen and saw his origin changed and retold on several occasions. Through the decades, he has gone by many names. The Man of Tomorrow, the last son of Krypton, the Man of Steel. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey, and I host an internet radio show called Views from the Long Box. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman Superman at 75, 75. the celebration of a legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics to the movies to the television series and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75, the celebration of a legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey Tude production, 
New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com and for this series over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we are back. The crowd is going wild. Yes, yes, yes. Superman, Superman. Thank you, thank you. And we are back after that promo break. If you are listening live, there was a bit more of a delay. Um, we are back to continue our read-through with the next two installments, beginning with Superman number 5, the July 1940 issue. We are progressing in through time. We are almost through a presidential term. So, picking up with Superman number 5, the slot machine racket by Siegel and Schuster with Wayne Boring contributing to art. That's exciting because I love me some Wayne Boring. A uh, basic idea of this story was a nefarious gang of hoodlums are forcing uh, store owners to put gambling slot machines into their stores. And the neighborhood kids in Metropolis are getting addicted to it. Uh, for one thing, the, I want to say something about this book. As soon as you open it, it has some of the most gorgeous frontispieces you will see anywhere in comics. Just gorgeous, dynamic frontispieces of just uh, simple art showing Superman in his many adventures. Love these frontispieces. Uh, wish they would bring something like this back in current books. Um, one thing I've, I'll note right out of the gate is that the shield is now shield-shaped. That's right. We, they added, a instead of being upside-down triangle, they've added that uh, edge to it so it does look very shield. Uh, and the S is more stylized. It's not quite full in. Uh, it's still a standard S, but we're heading towards the familiar Superman symbol now. Uh, Clark... And this story was noticeably more meek and more mild than we'd saw him before. And then we'll see him in the next story, ironically. Because after he saves a kid, as Clark, uh, to kind of cover that he did a super feat, he faints. Which actually, it, it organically moves the story because of that. They move into a store where he can get a tonic. And that's how we find out about the slot machines. I thought it was a genius, well-oiled machine on this. Now... What I didn't think was genius and well-oiled was Lois getting kidnapped. I know, I know what you're thinking. You didn't see that coming? That's kind of what Lois does. She gets kidnapped. That's how she rolls, Dave. I know this. I know this. Here's the thing, though. In this story, she gets kidnapped twice. Two times. That's just, uh, that's just a misuse of the character, really. And it's kind of an inept thing for a character to do, to get kidnapped twice. Uh, but the first time, she actually frames... Are you ready for this? George Taylor, her editor. We have not seen Perry White yet, but she frames unintentionally. She's forced to frame. I should correct my, my verbiage here. Uh, George Taylor for racketeering, for being a part of the slot machine racket. But uh, she comes clean in the end because Superman, well, he uses a photographic memory to memorize every store where these things are. Photographic memory. Yes. We're getting a new extension to his power. Photographic memory. He memorizes where each and every store is, and he goes through and just tears these machines up, as well as some of the thugs that try to stop him. Uh, once again, another street-level, you know, sort of caper with these odd villains doing odd things. Slot machines are a weird thing, and I know it's it's packed with a message that, you know, gambling's bad, okay? But, Really? Because, I mean, we have a, the main villain, the main racketeer, the leader of this nefarious group of thugs is a man named Slug. Slug. 
That's the villain. He's not even slug-like. He's just annoying. I, I don't like him. Now, Wayne Boring. That's the exciting point of this story to me. Wayne Boring t- is, is anything but boring. His name is, is, a, is a horrible, horrible irony in comic books. He adds this dynamic look to Superman. He looks animated. He still retains some of the square jaw and the barrel chest, except it's more barrel now. Now it's just very up there, very superhero-esque. Because we are seeing the development of a superhero, as we're going to see in just a moment. But uh, I love Wayne Boring. Like, his poses are dynamic. Like, when Superman lunges, you're like, ooh, what's going to happen here? Yes, I did make that noise. Uh, We're still not quite flying. We are seeing Superman make longer leaps. And Wayne Boring makes that look cool because we don't have the standard Superman on his belly pose yet. We have this lunge, like he's running through the air, leaping, standing up through the air. It looks awesome. I love, love, love that look. Love me some Wayne Boring. Now, I mentioned flying, and I mentioned George Taylor because I want to kind of put this story in context because interesting things are happening around Superman. While this story wasn't all that exciting, it was good not great we actually are seeing the radio show about to debut or we have pardon me it did debut months earlier in february of 1940 not to mention that we are entering a new decade i should probably point that out so superman is now this multimedia character and that's really something for a comic book character when comic books were not not as accepted not as fully realized as we will see them down the road. Still kind of a new concept. A book of, of comic strips I can get in my Sunday paper. All in one. But these things flow all in one chunk. They're their standing story. That kind of thing is pretty revolutionary for the time. And we have a character who leaps out of that. No pun intended. Leaps out of that into other forms of media. The World's Fair was a good one. You know, you had an actor playing Superman. You had Superman Day at the World's Fair. You have... But uh, Clayton Bud Collier tearing it up on the radio waves. This is pretty impressive stuff, people. Superman was very, very much a force. And of course, most historians will note, as I'm going to note, that we saw out of Superman almost a cottage industry in the comic book field of the concept of a superhero. Because we have now had Batman debut in Detective Comics. We have the masked hero Sandman over in Adventure Comics. We have the Jay Garrick Flash in Flash Comics. And Green Lantern debuted with the same com- uh, cover month in all American comics. We are seeing a real progression here of the superhero starting to become part of, of the lexicon. And I will point out that since this was February 1940, that means Captain Marvel debuted over in Wiz Comics number two. So not only are, is DC kind of getting into the act or national periodicals, getting into the act and adding more characters to their stable... Superman's inspiring other comic book companies to create their own. It's just, you didn't get bigger than Superman. He was selling gas. He, any product that could be sold, Superman was used to sell it. Now, I'm going kind of, to kind of comment on that for a moment here, because I feel like at the beginning of the episode, I did talk about Superman being kind of a, a, a way to print money, which he has always been. But here's where the line crosses. And I think of Bill Hicks because I, uh, Chris Honeywell of Two True Freaks posted a, a big bit about Bill Hicks talking about Jay Leno. And Bill Hicks saying, once you've done a commercial, unless you're a young actor, 
you're out of the creative community. I don't think that applies to fictional characters. A. They're fictional characters. B. Since they are fictional characters, they don't have a say in what projects they are made a part of. C. They are creative. So therefore, as fictional characters, they are part of the creative lexicon already, just by their nature of existence. They are a creation. I'm going to stand by this, that Superman, being as dynamic and as creative as he was, was the reason he was used to sell these things. He's not an actor who's just kind of cashing a paycheck. There are people who were cashing paychecks on, on the characters' backs. Don't get me wrong, and Siegel and Schuster, was no, they were no exception. They're in this to make a living. But the thing is, even when Mort Weisinger, who will come in down the road, was just popping out stories left and right and keeping that machine running, he still had a certain level, a certain threshold, a certain requirement of creativity to a story. If you make the story creative, if you make it readable, if you make it something special, then you're not going to have to work very hard to sell that. Now, I say that thinking about, at the same time, it just popped into my head, Marvel books like Agents of Atlas or Captain Britain and MI3, which were creatively solid, solid books. But they, they, did, not, they did not really have a long shelf life. They were very beloved, they were very crit critically acclaimed, but they were canceled pretty quickly. You would think that means it's an antithesis to what I am saying, because those were creatively good books. Well, Dave, if they're creatively good and they sell themselves, why didn't those sell? Cream rises to the top, and a really good, solid, creative book, like uh, Spider-Girl. Oh, there's another kind of example. If you capture the fandom with Spider-Girl, or something on the quality of Spider-Girl, the fans will lash out. It's a matter of... You have a lot of comics when you go into the comic shop that are vying for your attention. So your Captain Britons and your Agents of Atlas could be tucked at the bottom row when surefire sales like X-Men, well, used to be X-Men, now it's Aquaman, are sitting at the top at eye level. You have to put it out there to have access. You have to have some degree of promotion. I do believe that. Even, you know, I use the example of The Help, this little critically acclaimed movie that was low budget that suddenly out of nowhere just made money hand over fist because of the the creative force behind it, the critical force behind it. Yes, that's great. And yeah, that brought a lot of people into theaters, but to get the initial people in for word of mouth, there was a promotional push. So for books like Agents of Atlas or, uh, or MI3 or MI16, Captain Britain, whatever you want to call it, these books weren't pushed. They weren't brought to the attention. And word of mouth just didn't float it. I, and and I, I think sometimes, sometimes you just can't sell a book. Sometimes people aren't looking for good creative things. They want, they want the razzle-dazzle in front of them. But I still will always contend that if you are able to find, with a mainstream character like Superman, a good middle ground where the creative force is there. And, you know, of course, the draw of the character itself will bring people in. You will make money hand over fist just by the nature of it. That got a little convoluted. 
because I threw some things into my head I wasn't prepared for. I threw myself off track. Um, I will try to re-summarize now <laughs> to try to make sense of what I just said. I do believe that if it's creative and it's fresh and it's, it's well-read, it will find the audience it needs to. You just may not find the audience you want to. But that doesn't mean you take that creative force and turn it over to something that's designed simply to make money. Because I think that makes us dumber as readers that we're getting shilled all these lowbrow, uh, unthought out crossovers or books or, you know, popcorn books when we could be reading something of substance. And I think I'm going to put that on the reader as well. Now that I think this all the way through, this is what happens when you record live in one, you know, from the hip. I'm going to put this more on the readers that you should be seeking books that fulfill you and characters that fulfill you. Not just the, look beyond the mainstream, look beyond, you know, if Superman's not fulfilling you, you have multiple eras of Superman to look through or Batman as well. If you really want to throw that on the table. You also have multiple characters. Not everyone is going to be drawn to Superman or Batman or the mainstream. And I don't think they should be. I think everybody should have their own direction. I'm just going way off track. I'm sorry. But I have a lot of thoughts lately because of that that announcement. And because of the way that Man of Steel caused the level of argument that it did. And I'm trying to enunciate those as best as possible. Let me come back to you on next week on this, on the idea of being creative. Because it's still fresh in my mind, and I don't think that I have settled on exactly all of the ins and outs of that. So I'm going to make myself sound more ignorant if I continue. So let's jump into the next book and pretend that never happened, which is Superman number 11. That's from July 1941. This is the plot of Count Bergjack. Or Bergak? I'm not a French-speaking person. It's by Jerry Siegel and artist Leo Nowak. Uh, the essence, essence of this story is Superman must protect an heiress from the schemes of her would-be fiancé, Count Bergak. It's a slightly comical tale um, where Superman is basically trying to throw her off, uh, the, the heiress off of his trail because he's wanting to marry her because he feels that a husband has command over the wife, which is not entirely, that's not true. It's not true in a, in a good marriage. Uh, but because of that control, he can use the money. He can get paid he, and extort money from the board of directors of her company to pay him to basically keep her under control. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Superman's symbol now has the serifs at the end of the S's. Uh, still basic shield shape. No X art is oddly smooth and streamlined. Um, he doesn't quite have the dynamic flair of Wayne Boring, but it looks solid. Uh, it's kind of a, a very good middle ground between what Wayne Boring was trying to do and what Seagull was trying to do. Or Schuster, pardon me. I think that that middle ground is kind of a neat place to live and Noak occupies it really well. Because you can tell he has his own style, but he's doing his best to ape uh, Schuster's style. And what kind of comes out is something that's a combination of Boring and, Sch and, and Schuster. Boring, Wayne Boring. Uh, Superman still does not fly, but he's really trying to. <laughs> he's definitely in some flying poses. He's, he's really making an effort to get up in the air. Um, Clark kind of gets bold in this. Because he actually at one point throws a punch at somebody who's trying to kidnap the heiress. And 
He's very George Reeves before George Reeves. Where he fainted in the last uh, story we looked at, here he's like, nah, I got this. Bam! I love that we're seeing the 1940s social scene. And it's not a, a retro throwback. This is actually how it was perceived at the time. And I really got into that because I'm, I don't know, a nerd. I don't know. I love Clark's wardrobe, that he's very dapper, that he's a very proper man. I actually really like that look. I agree with Andrew Leyland that everybody should wear suits and fedoras. That's really just a solid, gentlemanly look. As I sit here in a t-shirt and jeans. Whoops. Um, and we get a really spectacular rescue in the air. Because when the man, the Count Burjack can't control the woman and she Superman does succeed in basically throwing her off of, of Count Burjack's uh, personality, he just switches, kidnaps her, switches her out with an actress, and then throws her from a plane. Yeah, throws him, throws her from a plane. Not throws Mama from a train. That's a different beast altogether. But it, this is definitely more of a template that would follow a standard mystery story. Rather than what we think of as a contemporary superhero story, we're still dealing with scheming villains rather than supervillains. Supervillains are going to be coming just a little bit down the road. Here we go. And that's kind of the, the four stories. Just kind of, as I mentioned, I'm not doing full full synopses, full notes. I just want to discuss the stories a little bit uh, just for time's sake. And what we've just looked at so far is, and what we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, are the pivotal early years. It's still in Siegel's, Siegel's hands. He's still forming this character. He's still etching it out of the marble, so to speak. Um, we have the radio show in, in play, so it's helping to build this mythology. As, uh, as we'll see, it's going to contribute something very, very, well, a few things very, very important to our, our mythology. Um, we're starting to see the addition of, of flight. It's not quite there yet. But we are seeing an expansion of strength and an expansion of Superman's powers. He's getting stronger, more powerful. The look of Superman is growing from being more grounded and street level and noir-ish, uh, pulpish, to a more dynamic. We're starting to learn what it is to draw a superhero. As I mentioned, still a new concept at this point. And so people are really learning how to draw a superhero. We're also seeing the rise of other superheroes. And really, where we're leaving off this week, we're a few months shy of the Fleischer cartoons coming in and taking Superman to a whole other level. Uh, we just had Luthor starting to recur at this point. The Ultra Humanite has come and gone. He's become a woman and, and got killed. Got himself blowed up real good. And we are still in this interesting period that is post-Depression, but pre-World War II. It's a different time frame than... Then I think that the country will ever see again. I'm really, really hoping at least. Uh, people are still looking for heroes. That's why we're starting to see this rise of heroes. Is that people wanted something to believe in. A hero that would protect them. And, well, here's Superman. Here's Batman. How can you get any better than that? Uh, next week, World War II. New allies, new enemies. And we continue to pro progress through the 1940s. Until then, I want you to go to your DG, uh, DG, your DC Comics digital app, and every Monday, I want you to read The Adventures of Superman. Not because I enjoy it, which I do immensely, but because I think you will enjoy it as much. If you like this show, if you like my take on Superman, that book has it all in spades. Just a joy to read every week, and hey, if you like Batman, throw in Batman 66 as well. 
Until then, you can always find this show at www.supermanforever.com. Of course, I am on iTunes. Just look for the keywords Superman and Forever. And, of course, I'm at the Superman Podcast Network.com, where you can find other great Superman podcasts once you're done listening to mine. And then on Twitter, I am Super Dave Weeder. So that's Twitter.com, Super Dave Weeder. Facebook.com, Superman Forever Radio. And don't forget to listen to Dave's Amazing World of Comics. That will be Friday, 3 p.m. Central Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until I talk to you next week, keep on fighting the never-ending battle.